So we finished off yesterday with some big questions, right? Do you remember the questions? We said that based on what we understand about the structure of Elul versus Tishrei, where in Elul we are initiating our relationship with Hashem, and in Tishrei Hashem is responding with a great revelation of his kingship, which causes us to have tremendous year-ah, or for Hashem, which should hopefully last throughout the entire year. How can we say that the Yud Gimel Midot HaRachamim are revealed also in the month of Elo? So the way the Alter Rebbe phrases the question is, if the Yud Gimel Midot HaRachamim are revealed in Elo, then why is Elo not a Yom Tov? Right? Why is it not a special day? Because we know every time that there's a special revelation infused into a specific time, we as the Jewish people respond to that revelation by elevating ourselves either with Shabbat or with a festival, by not going to work, right? By making Kiddush, by having a feast, a, f- a festive meal. So if there's this tremendous revelation, which we discussed yesterday, just how powerful are, right? We said, usually throughout the year, Hashem runs the world with the 10 Sfirot, with an order. And when it comes to the Yudgimumidotarachamim, it's referring to Hashem's Mercy, Rachamim means mercy, in its very source, the source of all mercy, which transcends the Sfirot, which transcends the order with which Hashem uses to keep the world running and to create the world. It's from a level that's called, I don't think I mentioned this, yes, a level called Sovet Kol'onim. It's such a powerful light that throughout the year it exists. The Yud Gimel Midot Rachamim are always there. Hashem's mercy, as it exists in its source, exists all the time. But it's specifically channeled, directed, and focused onto us all the way down here during the time of Elul and the 10 days of awe. And it remains infinite, which is, which is very difficult to understand. It's, it's, as I said, every year I kind of learn more and more about this idea. But it's Hashem's infinite mercies as they are channeled down here and remain infinite. Usually, when Hashem has an infinite light and He wants it to reach us, then He has to limited, right? Because we are limited and we cannot receive anything. There's a quote in Chazal that says that too much, too much light is, is no light at all, right? Because if you can't contain it, then what's the point? Um, Chassidus brings a marshal of somebody wants to drink, so he's a cup of water, right? And he wants to take a drink. So if you go to the tap, you turn on the tap, it's very, very, very limited, um, right? Amount of water coming through and you can fill your cup. What if you take that cup to a waterfall? right? Let's say Niagara Falls, and you're really thirsty. So you take your cup, put it under, the cup is going to just shatter and disappear, right? It's not, it's not helpful. You, the water's there, the cup is there, but if it's too much, there's nothing you can get from it. So that's usually the way Hashem runs the world. I, Hashem is merciful and He wants His mercy to reach us. He channels it and limits it to the point that it can reach us. And that usually comes with a give and take. If we want that light to, re- to reach us, we need to earn it, we need to deserve it. However, when it comes to Yud Gimel Mitot we're speaking about Hashem's mercy as it is infinite, as it is unlimited, and it's at the same time directed towards finite beings who can actually internalize this. So only Hashem can do such a thing, right? Take infinity and, and allow finite humans to actually, re- to actually internalize this and to actually be able to be exposed to it without completely disappearing. So it's a very, very great revelation. And for the Arizal to come along and say that this revelation is present in Elul, so we, we, we took three questions from it, right? The explicit question in the Maimer, which is, if that's the case, why is Elul not a, ho- a holiday? We started off with, 
where's the Anila Dodi in Elul if, these, if this tremendous revelation of Hashem's mercy is present in Elul, right? Where's our effort? Where's our initiation, right? If Hashem is showering us with his mercies in this way, then it's Hashem initiating, it's not us, right? And we said also, we know that the Yudgimu Midot HaRachamim are revealed on Yom Kippur, right? Hashem taught Moshe the Yudgimu Midot HaRachamim and we fully knew that Hashem had forgiven us on Yom Kippur when Hashem gave us the second set of Luchot, which was like the complete, complete peak of forgiveness. So we know that's why Yom Kippur is such a special day, because the Yud Kimo Medot Rachamim are revealed. So how can we compare Elul to Yom Kippur? They're clearly two very different times, two different energies. And so we said, how is the Altar going to answer this question? Does anyone remember? Uh, the king in the field. King in the field. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about the king in the field, and then we'll see it inside. I'll start off by saying that the, the marshal of the king in the field has evolved, okay? So the Alter Rebbe, the source of the marshal of the king in the field is here, written very cryptically, shortly. Um, and since then, the Rabbeim, and specifically the Lubavitch Rebbe, the seventh Lubavitch Rebbe, really elaborated on this mashal, on this story analogy of the king in the field to give us a really clear picture of what's going on during these months, from Elul all the way till the end of Tishrei, and what our specific avoda is during that time, and obviously it's going to answer our question that we've asked. So I'm going to start by telling you, um, by telling you the mashal outside, and I will say that a lot of what I'm saying has been elaborated and added to by the by the Rebbe from his sikhs, and there's also many maimarim of the Lubavitcher Rebbe um, titled Ani Ladadi, which elaborate on different aspects of this maimar. So, and then we're going to see it inside in the words of the Alter Rebbe. There's one difference that we're going to see once we see inside, where the Alter Rebbe basically says that there's a certain level of Jew that's called Midbar, that's in the desert, that's not even in the field. And the Rebbe kind of scratches and says every single Jew can get, is in this level of field and can greet the king, as we're going to see. Okay, so just, just putting it out there, that what I'm going to be telling you right now is more than what we're going to see inside, based on, elab- on elaborations and adding from the Rebbeim after the Alter Rebbe. So we've all heard about the king in the field, right? We, we spoke about yesterday that, that there was a macrobiologist who the Rebbe said, it's Elul, you have a, you have a talk tomorrow, mention the king in the field, right? We, we've heard the king in the field, the king in the field. So what's going on here? So first we're going to start purely from the mashal, okay? So no... Um, no, none of the relevance yet. First, just the story, okay? And I'm definitely embellishing a little bit, so. Um, there's a king, right? And what's the role of a king? The role of a king is to run his kingdom, to stand all the way on top, to remain aloof from everybody else in a certain way so he can have a bird's eye view of what's going on and make sure that the entire kingdom is running in sync, one with the other, that every single department and every single niche is doing what it needs to do so that the kingdom can function or that the kingdom can thrive. And in order for the king to do this, he has to remain above everybody else, right? That's one of the, um, that's one of the things that really categorizes a king. Even a Jewish king, there's halachot, there's specific laws about kings that they have to be perfect. They have to look perfect and act perfect in order for them to be a king. It's actually halacha. Um, he has to have perfect clothing and, and really present himself in a way that is head and shoulders above the people. And the king has people who are close to him, right? His ministers who are in charge of very big departments and who help him run his kingdom. And then there are the people who, 
who, who, who do the work, right? And the interesting thing is that the king has to be very careful, specifically of the people who are closest to him, right? We know this also in politics. and The people who are closest to you, they're not the king, but they could possibly think, oh, you know, maybe I could do the king's job better, right? Because he's so close to the king. Maybe, maybe you start to doubt the king, right? You can start to think, maybe I could do a better job. So the king has to be wary and careful of those who are actually closest to him, the highest, smartest people of the land who are his ministers. Um, and then there are the people who work in the city, what you called Ansheha'er. The people who work in the city, the businessmen, the lawyers, the engineers, right, who help keep things running. And then there are the farmers, right? They don't live in the city. They don't really know much about the king. They're not very sophisticated. They're not necessarily very smart. They work in the field and they produce the food. And the interesting thing is that these farmers who are the furthest away from the king um, physically, right? There's a big distance. The fields are far out from the city as opposed to those who live in the city who live near, near the palace. Physically, but also psychologically, they're very far from the king. They don't really understand what it means, a king. They don't really understand what the king does. They don't really understand why they need the king. And at the same time, so there's this distance. There's this clear distance between the farmers and the king. And even the farmers and the people who live in the city. But at the same time, there's this weird phenomena that everybody in the city, including the king himself, depends on the farmers. Why is that? Why would they depend on the farmers? For food, right? You could be the best engineer. If you don't have food, you're gone, right? Be the best lawyer. Everybody depends on the farmers. And this is a topic that comes up a lot in Hasidus. The advantage, actually, of those who provide of, of food. It's such a low thing, so to speak, right? You don't have to be as smart as a lawyer or an engineer to figure out how to work the fields. But it's the most essential job of all. So... The king has laws, right? And everybody has to listen to the king's laws. Not only the people in the city, but the farmers as well. And the farmers get instructions all the time. You know, the city needs this type of food now and this amount of cotton and this amount of wheat. And now we need you to grow plums and now we need you to, do, to, to make apples. They get instructions from all the way up on top. And it's important for the king that, that the farmers will, on the one hand, follow the instructions, listen, and on, the other, and on an even higher level, that they will know who the king is. That they will have some sort of a relationship with the king. And the king can afford to do this more than he can with his ministers because, again, his ministers are very smart. His ministers are a th threat in a way, okay? So he can't just become buddy-buddy with his ministers. He has to always keep that distance in order to protect his status as a king and also to keep them in their place and to keep everything running. But the farmers, he can afford to do something very, very special and unique, which is... In order for them to know that they have a king, to feel connected to their king, to love their king, and to follow the orders of the king, he takes a trip once a year to the fields where the farmers work so that he can meet the farmers. But there's a catch. He doesn't go with his whole entourage. He doesn't go with his robes on. He doesn't go with his royal trumpets and horses and clothing. He puts on a farmer's outfit. And he goes with maybe some of his ministers, but he doesn't, take a whole, he doesn't make a whole big deal. And he goes quietly and he goes to the field. And he makes himself available to anybody in the field, any farmer who wants to come talk to him for one month. He's there. He's in the field. 
anyone who wants to talk to him, they could talk to him all day, they could talk to him once a week, once a day, once, they could come once throughout the month. He's available. He's available and he's smiling and he's not stern and, and, and strict. He's smiling and he's out in the field. But he doesn't announce himself. He doesn't say, if you don't come to me, you're going to get in trouble, right? I'm going to hold a grudge against you. No, the king is here. If you want to come, you, you can come. If you don't want to come, nothing's going to happen. So word starts to spread among the farmers that the king is chilling in the field. And most of the farmers say, what do you mean? There's no way. Why would the king come to the field? I don't know. But one by one, they actually go and say, no, no, this is, this is the king. It's the king. It doesn't look like the king, but, but it's the king. So... Every farmer, you know, this, I guess there's three categories of farmers. There's those who get super excited that it's the king. Why? Because the king, as we said, is head and shoulders above the people. He's smart. So they can go to the king and ask the king questions about, you know, their life advice and spend time with the king. Make some sort of a relationship with the king. And they go, there's those who go every single day. They use as much time as they possibly can. Uh, they put this work aside as much as they possibly can to communicate with the king and take advantage of this. Then there are those who come sometimes, right? Oh, the king is here, that's great, but I also you know, have a field to tend to and I have, um, I have an amount of work that I need to fulfill by the end of the day. So I'll come you know, once a week, I'll pop by, speak to the king, get some advice and go home. And then there are those who just, you know, oh, the king's there, but I need to, you know, I need to plant my vineyard and I need to gather up my fruits and I need to do the harvest and I am busy. <laughs> I don't have time in my busy schedule right now to go and see the king. So there's these three categories of farmers, and this goes on for a month. None of them know that there's an end until one day the king stands up and says, this was nice, I'm going back to the palace. And suddenly all the farmers are like, wait, wait, the, you're not staying here? He said, no, I'm going back to the palace now. <coughs> and he, the king invites all the farmers to come back with him to the palace. Everybody, it doesn't matter if they visited the king once, twice, not at all. Everyone, all the farmers, you're invited to come back with me into the palace. But once they go back to the palace, Things change very dramatically. The king puts on his royal robes again, and the farmers have to act the way you act in a palace, which is very different than the way you act in a field. They have to, they have to, you know, they have to be very, very, very respectful and watch every single word they say and how they act and what they do, because now they're in the palace. And once the farmers are in the palace, there are those who are kind of like feeling a little guilty, like, what if, you know, the king's not happy with me because I didn't even go once to say hi to the king when he was near me in the field. There are those who, you know, okay, I, I know, so, you know, I, I, I went sometimes and there are those who are, who are, you know, very calm because they know who this king is. They have established a relationship with the king. They made an effort to go out and greet the king in the field. But equally, all of the farmers have to really raise themselves up to the level of the palace and not act the way they're used to acting. And they're enjoying all the splendor and glory of being with the king in the palace. Until 10 days later, what does the king do? Kicks everybody out. Says, everybody, doors are closing, go back to the field. They say, wait, wait, what? You brought us all the way here just to send us back home? And the king says, yes. The reason I brought you here is so that you can go back home and you can go back home knowing that you have a king. You have a king who cares about you. You have a king who loves you. You have a king who's smart. You have a king who you can have a relationship with. And now you can go back and do the things that the king asks you to do and provide the food for the city and for the king. And so everybody has to leave. They have no choice. Doors are locked. They're out. But these farmers are smart and they realize we shouldn't just run straight back home. We need to celebrate. 
this amazing opportunity that we've just had. So they stand outside the palace gates and they sing and they dance and they act like farmers again, but they have this intense joy that the king actually cares about them and they've been able to actually interact with and get to know and be close to their king. And that they have such a king, they rejoice in the fact that their king is so special and that they get to go back home now with this new energy to serve the king and to provide for, for the people. Okay, so that was definitely uh, an embellishment. The altar Rebbe speaks specifically about the king in the field on, in Elul. The Rebbe adds this entire process. So let's speak a little bit about what's, what's going on here. Right? You might have already put the pieces together. The king, what is, so what do we mean when we say the king is in the field, but he's wearing farmer's clothing? What do you guys think that means? He makes himself approachable and like less intimidating. Like I think we talked about how like during Elo, like the I'm trying to think of the words, but I mean like there's like this intensity and like almost like grandeur throughout the rest of the year where it like it's intimidating for the common person who's not fully like tapped into that like spirituality and that um connect their connection but during Elo, like it's kind of like the intensity is lowered um, and it's just more approachable to like that average everyday person. Mm. So when we say the king is in the field, we mean Hashem is more approachable to the average person as opposed to during your Shoshana Yom Kippur when he's already back in his palace. Is that what you're saying? Or as opposed to the rest of the year when the king is like Mamash. I mean, yeah, the rest of, of the year where the king is in his palace and nobody can go see him without a special, you know, all yeah. of the. Okay, I like that. Yep. What else do you guys think that means? In the farmer's clothes, it's like the, our day-to-day life. So, like, uh, it's a king, but he's in our clothes, and it's hard to explain. That. It's not hot, it's just regular days, and mm. he's very close to us. It's just regular days, yeah. right. It, the farmers still have all their work that they need to do, but the king is there, and he's in regular clothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyone else want to share something that they think? Okay, so let's go through this. The altar is going to go through it as well. Not the entire thing again, because a lot of it is, is added from later. But let's go through this a little bit, and then we'll, see, then we'll see it inside. And then we'll see if we can answer the question based on what we've learned from this marshal. So when we say the king, we're speaking about Hashem, right? When we say that the king can't get too close to his ministers, who, who are the ministers? Who are the smart people who are running all the big shop things in the city? Angels. The angels, right. The ministers are the angels. The angels are much, much smarter and more aware than people down here. They know much more about God. They know much more about what God wants. And they're closer to God, right? And that's his ministers. God can't... And his ministers and his tzaddikim as well. The tzaddikim, even though they're in human form down here... They understand a lot more about God than the average person does, and they're closer to God as well. And so God lets them do their job. They know what they need to do, and he doesn't afford them this opportunity because he can't, because the, the smarter somebody is, the more of, a, I guess, a threat they are. And we can never say anything threatens God, obviously. Um, but an example of this is uh, King Solomon. King Solomon, it says about him that he was the smartest person in the, ever to ever live. Have you heard that? About King Solomon says he knew the language of the animals. He knew how to speak. He knew every language under the sun. He could communicate with animals and birds. 
And King Solomon was so smart that he said that the mitzvahs, not all mitzvahs apply to him because he knows the reason for the mitzvahs because he's so smart. So he, if there's certain boundaries that God put up and he knows the reason why those boundaries are there, he doesn't have to keep them because he knows to stay away from the sin. So the biggest example is that there are, Solomon was a king. And as we said, there are laws specific to a king, one of which is that a king can't have too many wives. Another is that a king can't have too many. <laughs> So I think it's more than 18, is, uh, does anyone know? More than 18 wives, which is a lot. And that doesn't include concubines, anyway. Um, can't have too many wives, can't have too many horses, can't have too, much, can't have too much money. There's a limit. And King Solomon said, I know the reason for these limits so that I don't end up turning away from God, so I don't have to keep them. I'm above that. And once, what ended up happening, it's the saddest thing, with the end of King Solomon's life, he had too many wives, they ended up, there, and many of them were from pagan cultures and convinced him actually to, he, his house was full of paganism. And he had too many horses and he ended up actually straying. And so even the smartest person at the end of the, there's a threat there. You're so smart, you think that you actually understand God, but you don't, which is the uniqueness of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu knew God the most out of any human being ever. And at the same time, he was the most humble. That's, that's the way it needs to be. Um, but God can afford to come close to us because we don't really understand much, right? We don't really understand what it means God and, and what, you know, what God really is. And at the same time, we're very, very important. We're essential for the running of not only this world, but all of the worlds. Why? We provide the food. What does that mean that we provide the food? The farmers provide the food to those, you know, to the ministers and the, and the sophisticated people in the city. What does that mean that we down here provide the food? Why are we so essential? What do you guys think? We can do mitzvot. Right, we can do mitzvot. We're the only ones who could do mitzvot. Angels can't do mitzvot. We can serve Hashem physically. And throughout the year, we're gonna be speaking about this a lot the advantage of physicality actually over spirituality, the advantage of serving Hashem from a physical place. We're the only one who can do mitzvot. And that's kind of like providing the food and the sustenance. And the angels, they wait up in heaven for us to do our mitzvot, right? And the souls as well. So we're very, very important to the functioning of Hashem's entire world. We're essential. We're the reason why the whole world is here. And Hashem wants us to remember that. And to be infused with a passion and an energy to actually do the things we need to do. Because God tells us to do a lot of stuff. The king gives a lot of commands to the farmers. And the king also wants a relationship with the farmers. So Hashem takes time every single year to make himself approachable to us. And he does that in the month of Elul. And he does that in the form of what we discussed of the Yud Gimel Midot Harachamim. That there's a tremendous revelation that there's Hashem himself coming and making himself available in the month of Elul. But he's wearing farmer's clothes. What does that mean? Nothing feels different. Nothing feels different. Imagine if the king had come to the field with his entire entourage, with his carriages, with his horses, with his robe and his golden scepter. Everyone would have stopped working, right? We'll be like, the king is here. It doesn't matter about my field. It doesn't matter about this. I'm going to be with the king, right? Which is what happens on Shabbos, which is what happens on Yom Tov, that we feel an energy. We say, I can't go to work. I have to be with the king. I have to be with God. 
In Elul, the revelation is there, but it's concealed. We don't feel it. We don't really even know so much about it. All we know is that the king is available. That there's this revelation of Yod Gimel Medot HaRachamim. And it comes down in a way that we don't, we don't see it. That doesn't change our day-to-day life. And despite that, we have the opportunity to pause from our everyday life whenever we can. Right? We still have to go to work in Elul. Like, no one has enough money. I mean, maybe some people do. But to just stop working the whole month of Elul because I'm going to be with the king. We have to go on with our lives. And yet, at the same time, we have this opportunity to connect with Hashem. But if we don't, and this is the biggest part, that the king doesn't force any of the farmers to come to be with him or doesn't hold any grudges, what does that look like? That if we don't use Elul the way we possibly can, we don't tap into the potential of being this near to the king in this time, we're not going to know. We're not going to feel like, oh, I really missed out. Elo's going to come and Elo's going to go and we're not going to feel the difference. As opposed to on Yom Kippur, I remember when I was in Sam, I had a friend and she, was, she wasn't sleeping. Like she just wasn't sleeping, wasn't sleeping, wasn't sleeping. And she finally went to the doctor before Yom Kippur and he gave her a, a sleeping pill and she took it before Yom Kippur because she wanted to go to sleep and she literally slept the entire Yom Kippur. Like she, she didn't wake up. Like she, it was not, and she woke up and was like, Oh my gosh. She felt like, oh my gosh, I missed Yom Kippur. Like what? We don't feel that with Elul. We go through an Elul and nothing changes. We don't feel like any, like, oh my gosh, we don't, we don't feel that. If we, if we miss a Yom Kippur, if we miss a, a Rosh Hashanah for whatever reason, or we didn't tap into it the way we'd like, we feel something. We don't feel anything with Elul because Hashem is available, but he's not, he's not intruding in, in any way. So there's the opportunity Hashem is close to us, and if we want to take the effort, right? The farmers had to make the effort to walk to the king. If we want to take that effort, then Hashem helps us tremendously. But if we don't make that effort for whatever reason, nothing happens. We missed an opportunity, but we don't feel that we did, and nothing happens. And then we go to the palace and we feel a little squirmy, maybe. Like, oh, okay, well, now it's Rosh Hashanah, now I'm in Shul, and now Hashem is so close, and I feel all this passion and inspiration, and like, where was I in Elul, right? Is, in, is the relationship starting right now? Because right now the king feels very far away. The king is coming and presenting himself on Rosh Hashanah. We said, how many times does it say HaMelech? All throughout the prayer books. Hashem manifests and expresses himself as our king. And he feels very far away. And it's like, whoa, okay. The relationship feels a little bit lacking. So in Elul, Hashem is near. Hashem is literally closer his light is closer and more available to us than any other time of the year but we don't feel that but if we make the effort to be like the farmers and actually put aside our work for 10 minutes a day for the whole day once a week whatever that is and we go to greet the king and we go to speak to the king which looks like in the form of teshuvah right and looks like adding in our service of the king and actually taking the time to think about our relationship with hashem and we'll talk about the different forms that that can take a little bit later in the mimer, then we will get tremendous help. So back to our question. Before, before we go back to our question, does anybody have questions, questions or comments? I have a question. So that, like, does Hashem need us? <laughs> That's a big question. Yeah. That's a big question. There are many different levels when we speak about Hashem. 
and we're going to speak are you going to be here throughout the year yes okay because this is a topic that comes up throughout the year and we kind of build on it the answer is yes and no there are certain levels of Hashem that completely need us and we're essential for the running of the world as Hashem as he is in his plainness and his simpleness completely disconnected from the world need us Hashem is us there's no Hashem and us there's just Hashem so it depends what level and what aspect you're talking about. And we definitely do deal with that. Um, it's definitely a bit of a longer discussion and we look at it from different angles throughout the year. That's a very important question, does Hashem need us? When we speak about Hashem as he reveals himself in Yudkimu Midot Rachamim, as he reveals himself in the Midos, yes, Hashem needs us. Hashem needs us. And the angels need us. And the souls up above need us. They need us, just like all of the sophisticated people in the city and the king himself need the food that the farmers provide. So yes, um, but again, it just depends what aspect of Hashem we're talking about. Okay. Any, anyone else have questions, comments? Okay, so now let's go back to our question, which is a very important question. Where's the initiation in Elul if the Yud Gimel Midot HaRachamim are revealed? And based on what we said, what do you guys think? Where's the initiation? First of all, why is it not a holiday, right? Why is Elul not a holiday? If the Yudgimu Midot HaRachamim are here, if Hashem is literally nearer to us than the rest of the year, and where's, the, where's our effort, the Ani Lododi that we spoke so much about in Elul, if Hashem is near us? What do you guys think? Based on the marshal, how could this story and the lesson that we took from it help us answer this question? Yeah. Um, for how is there Ani Lododi, like how we're going up? Hashem is in the field, the king's in the field. But that doesn't mean the farmer's going to go and talk to him. So for that, like, Hashem's coming down so we can choose. Like, we still have that choice if we want to connect or not. Um, so I think that's how we do that. I mean, it's OD. What was the other question? <laughs> Why is Elul not a holiday? Why is Elul not like Shabbat or Yom Tov? Why is it just a mundane month? Because we're in the field. Because we're in the field. Right? There we we're go. in the past. We're not. Yeah. Okay. So that's the answer. That... Hashem is closer to us during this time, but he's wearing farmer's clothing, which means that we don't feel that. So it is up to us to make our Elul into the Elul we want it to be, so that by the time we're sitting in Shul on Rosh Hashanah, it's the Rosh Hashanah we want it to be, right? It's a king as he reveals himself and one that we actually have a relationship with. But it is up to us. However, if we take that effort in Elul, and again, it's not a holiday precisely because of that same point, that Hashem isn't revealed in all his glory. He's here, he's close, but not in a revealed way. If we do make that effort, despite the fact that it's not a holiday, it's a regular month, we have regular human people things we need to do, right? Despite that we make the effort to reinitiate our relationship with Hashem, to really think about what it means to be a Jew, to be connected to Hashem, to do Teshuvah, which we're going to discuss all the different levels and aspects of what it means to shuvah, to reignite that relationship and take it seriously, Hashem will help us tremendously because Hashem is very close. As opposed to the rest of the year, when we initiate the relationship, right? A random month, like Cheshvan. It's just a random month, right? There's no such thing as a random month, but there's no special holidays. When we initiate then, Hashem's pretty far away. It takes a lot more effort to actually feel close. Now when we initiate, Hashem, once he sees that initiation, will really lift us up. 
Hashem is really close and really nearby. So our teshuva will go up and have a tremendous force and power that we could never have achieved if it wasn't in the Montevelo, if Hashem wasn't there to help us. So the Yud Gimel Midot Rachamim are here. Hashem is closer now. Hashem's mercies are actually closer. And when we say closer, what do we mean? Because God doesn't take up space. So that's, you know, that's a good question if anyone was thinking it. Um, so we don't mean physically closer, but Hashem is more accessible. Godliness is more accessible. Awakening our heart to love and fear of Hashem and to reconnect. If we do that, we will feel something. Our, our efforts will go further than they could have gone if we were on our own. But it's up to us, which is why it's a regular month, Elol. Elol is a regular month. And we don't feel much in Elol. We don't, I mean, you guys are starting the year in my notes, so I hope you're very excited and very passionate. Most people, Elol is like, you, it's the beginning of the year, you go back to work, you're sending your kids back to school, and it's like, it's just Elol. We blow the shofar, which is a very helpful reminder, by the way. Every time you hear the shofar every day, think about the fact that the king is in the field. It's a reminder that, wait, wait, this is not just a regular month. Hashem is right here, right? And the shofar sounds like a, like a cry. And it reminds us that our soul is crying and yearning to be with Hashem. That's what we truly want. And if we truly tap into that in Elo, Hashem will really help us. But the king is in the field. It's completely... If we don't tap into Elo, nothing's going to happen. And we're not really going to feel anything's wrong and anything's amiss. Now the question is, and maybe we'll finish off with the question for today and we'll go into it tomorrow. Um, although we're also going to get into the Sfirot tomorrow. We're going to speak about the, the Sfirot as well because we keep on referring to them. Why doesn't God come in farmer's clothing? Why doesn't he come to the field in his king clothing? If he really wants the Jewish people to have a relationship with him, if he really cares about that, why doesn't he fully reveal himself? The whole month of Elo. Why is there a time where he's here and he's here to help, but like in a hidden way and only if we make the effort? Why does God care about the Ani Lododi? Why do we need to make that effort? So we'll, we'll, we'll address that. It doesn't explicitly say it in the Mimer, but it's an important question. Um, why does God want us to initiate? What's, what's the value in that? So we'll talk about that tomorrow. In the meantime, for the next five minutes, let's go inside and see the marshal inside. You'll see it's much shorter than what I said. Um, oh, and, and I, didn't, I didn't finish the rest of, I didn't go at length into the rest of the story, the lesson from the story of that when they go into the palace, right? I'll say quickly. When the Jewish people go into the palace, that's Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur. That Hashem, we're close to Hashem. Yud Gimim are fully revealed, but there's a distance, there's an awe because Hashem is fully in his full glory, right? So we're sitting in shul and we're not acting the way we usually act. And on Yom, on Yom Kippur, we're, we're fasting, so even more so. And then Neila, the end of Yom Kippur, Hashem, kicks us out the palace, but we don't go home. We celebrate, and that's Sukkot. That's celebrating that connection that we have with Hashem, Sukkot and Simchat Torah, where we dance outside the palace gates, which we will, we will get back to um, during the 10 days when we're going to be learning after Elo. So let's see this inside, okay? Page 64. Ah, so the second paragraph. Right? So the first the paragraph right above it finishes off with the questions. Now, the author is going to say, Ach, hine yuvan. This will be understood. The questions will be answered. Alpi mashal. According to a mashal. A mashal is an, an analogy in English. Is that how you say it? Analogy? Okay. An analogy of the melech, of a king. Shekodim bo la'ir. 
that before he goes into the city, Yotzin ha anshe ha ir the men of the city go out towards him. Umakablin panav basadeh, and they greet him in the field. Viaz, and then Rashain kol mi sherotse. Anybody wants, who wants has permission. Latzet lahakbil panav to go out to leave wherever he comes from and to greet his face, to greet the king. The who and he, referring to the king, makabel et kulam, accepts everybody. The sever panim yafot, with a positive smiling countenance. The mar'eh panim sochakot, and he shows them a laughing, smiling face. Lekulam, to everybody. Uvelechto ha'iran, when he returns to the city, hareheim holchim acharav, they all follow after him. V'yacharkach, and afterwards, bevo'ah leheichal malchuto, when they reach his palace, when they reach the king's chambers, ein nichnasim, they are no longer able to enter ki'im v'rashut, rather with special permission. V'af gamzot, and in addition, not only with special permission, hamuvcharim sheba'am, only the elite of the people, the yechidei skula, and those who are very special. So that's referring this last part where Hashem closes his palace and says only special people can come in. That's the rest of the year, right? We can't just be this near to the king throughout the year. Only angels and ministers can maybe, can maybe get this access. And that's the end of the mashal. That's the mashal as it is in its source in Torah or from the Alter Rebbe. And so too we see this in the month of Elul. Yotzin, we, we leave Lahakbil or Panav to greet him. Yisparach, to greet Hashem Basadeh in the field. We'll finish with that for today. Okay? We'll continue inside a little bit tomorrow. And we will discuss um, a little bit about why specifically God, um, why specifically God wants us to have an Elul the way that it presents itself. What's the advantage? What's the purpose? And what's the reason behind that? And I haven't forgotten that we also need to do about the spheres. So we're going to go through that as well. Um, maybe when we finish this little point, we'll take a break. Look a little bit through the spherot. Because we're going to be referencing them again throughout the mimer a little bit as well. Um, and, uh, and then get back inside the mimer. Okay, so we have a little bit more context. Any questions or comments before any for the day? No? Okay, awesome. So we will continue tomorrow. Tomorrow's Thursday, so it's the last day of the week. And uh, okay, looking forward. Have a great day. Good to see you here.